Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Formulas and One Jackass podcast. It is episode nine. Can you believe how many episodes we're already in? It just flies by. And um, as always, I am Ryan, and joining me is Christopher here. Uh, we're talking to you now from before the race in Baku. So, uh, yeah, exciting uh, things to talk about. Yes, so we promised we will be back, and we're back on time. So let's just uh, jump right into it. Our social medias will do at the end. So, but by now, um, you should know it's all now. And if you're new to our podcast, uh, welcome and uh, thanks for joining us. So, Christopher. Yep. Uh, last podcast, we talked uh, a bit about Silly Season. So let's dive right into that. Uh, for the listeners who are unfamiliar with Silly Seasons, well, in Formula One currently, there are 10 teams. Uh, each team has two drivers, so there's 20 drivers uh, maximum that are racing Formula One. And each season, it is the question as to who or which driver will race for which team. So for 2020, we have only a couple of drivers who are sureties at their current teams uh, that have uh, a solid contract for that team. And there are some drivers who at the end of this season have an expiring contract at their team. So are perhaps looking to renew their contract with their current teams or are looking to move contracts. So right around summertime, you know, in a normal season, you know, uh, we grew up with around 15 races per season. Now there's a whopping 23 races per season. So even though we are only six races in, uh, for us, it feels like definitely past the quarter way onwards to the halfway point of the, the season, but we are nowhere near that. We're also not near the summer break yet, which is traditionally when the carousel kicks off. But, well, we're going to start talking about it now because I think in the next couple of weeks, months ahead, it is going to heat up. So what are your initial thoughts, Christopher? I mean, the thing about silly seasons is we have seasons where, you know, one driver change uh, just changes up everything like Fiddle did last year uh, when Lewis went to Mercedes as well. Um but for this year, I feel like there's not going to be too much uh, of a change happening. There are a couple of uncertainties and these spots might be filled. But up in the top teams, I don't think uh, there's going to be yeah, too much hassle. I don't think it's going to be one of those years where we're going to have like a big changes. But who knows? Sometimes it just comes out of nowhere uh, like mm-hmm. it did with Lewis, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting. Um, but like you said as well, it's been it's been early on in the season. Uh, it's a bit strange that it's you know only been so few races, but we're already talking about it because usually... It's about now these kind of things with the uh, yeah sure yeah, but also this is formula one and formula one being formula one contracts also don't really mean shit. i yeah. mean in in the past we've had especially at um teams where they did have pay drivers in the past so you have you know a jordan a minority um you know even a um a force india beforehand mm-hmm. where there was a, a driver who had a signed contract to race for the team next uh, season. The new season starts and suddenly he finds that his seat that he signed for has been taken by another one simply because yeah. there was a better driver, more talent, or just had more money. So nothing is a surety in Formula 1 contract-wise. Uh, unless, I would say, um, you are... Um, set for the next couple of years where you found yourself a home there is a mutual understanding and and want to continue 
uh, with each other for the next couple of years. So I think uh, Charles Leclerc is in that position mm-hmm. at the moment, you know, a surety for the next couple of years. He wants to be at Ferrari. Ferrari wants him to be with them. So that is more set in stone, I think, than uh, Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing, for Probably, example. Probably, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, we are, we assume Max is going to be at Red Bull. It's not really... No one's really taking it serious if he's going to move or not, but it could be exactly one of those things that just happen and then everything changes in F1. But another thing that's really interesting is all these young drivers coming into the big teams, having like long contracts, uh, like Norris, for mm-hmm. instance, and Leclerc, as you mentioned as well. And that hasn't really been like the, the precedent before. It seems like they've gotten one, two years to prove themselves and then that's it. But it seems that big, uh, the, the big manufacturers are taking a bigger investment into the drivers as well. So... Yeah, they're trying well, to I solidify. Think also, with these, sorry, with these mm-hmm. young drivers, the the teams are looking at more than just the driving talents. Yeah, we know that Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc have a huge social media presence, mm-hmm. which adds value to not only themselves as drivers, but they can monetize that with the team. The team can benefit from this social media presence. So that is something new within the last couple of years that we haven't seen before with the likes of young drivers when they came in, uh, Fernando Alonso, Michael Schumacher, or Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, I mean, especially the internet now as well. Uh, you mentioned Norris, and I think that's the best example because he's big on Twitch, you know. Uh, he's called a Twitch streamer that also happens to be a part-time Formula One driver, you know. Um, and he well, also he's toned it down this season, though. He has, and he has to, uh, because he has to, of, of course, focus on F1 most. And he's gotten some flack for the things he said on his stream, even though it's like taken out of context and it's just him trying to be, you know, being himself. And he just, like he said something about Martin Brundle. He called him a Muppet because of Brundle said something wrong. And Norris hadn't seen the whole clip and the whole internet exploded. I'm like, come on, he's just watching a clip from the race highlights and just commenting on it. It's no big deal. It's, it's, it, 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 it kind of is weird to see these these guys just you know uh, racing on you know sim racing and talking shit to each other like it's uh, like it's no biggie and then they're one of the best paid athletes in the world and Formula One drivers and that, there's been a big difference in that term. Uh, McLaren as well they're working closer to uh, closer with Norris to kind of shape this and he's part of this kind of team called uh, yeah I forgot what it's called but uh, yeah they do sim racing and all these kind of things on social media. And yeah, it, it is it is the future. It is it is more focused on this, and I think it's smart for the teams to capitalize on it now, um, to get the best out of it, uh, so to say. Because in the future, I'm sure all athletes will have something similar, and they will have managers that manage all of this. You know, their internet presence and whatnot. But uh, now that it's still in the early stages, McLaren could get so much more visibility out of it, and that's what's happened. McLaren has gone from a team being, you know, for the old farts. Uh, that like to uh, drink champagne and buy Rolexes, which is what F1's old kind of demographic were or what they were trying to, you know, reach. And um, nowadays it's different. McLaren is the young hip team. Like, who would have thought that five years ago, no? And Norris is uh, a big part of why it's like that, I think. I think um, one example going back to Norris getting a bit of flack is that, you know, the mainstream media is also now following the Twitch streams. And then getting their their headlines and their bylines from what happened in that stream. And they never paid attention to this stuff before and only lately realized the importance of it and then getting those controversial bylines from the Twitch stream, whereas beforehand, like it was, no attention was paid to it. And 
they were just being themselves and mm-hmm. they, were, they weren't meant to be offensive. And it just was construed in a way which, of course, gets the clicks and gets the headlines. But that's how so, it's always been in media, you know, like hmm. I've noticed now, especially um, now that, you know, it's easy to have access to Sky. Uh, when I was younger, it wasn't easy to get access to the interviews with the English media, for instance, unless you got like English media. But nowadays you can find it all online, etc. And you notice all these headlines, all these things, uh, you know, drama and controversy. It's literally taken from these interviews that we watch post-race and it's literally just a couple of statements that has, in context, no big uh, value, but they just blow everything out of proportion. And it's a bit like, it's a bit strange to see how maybe 10 years ago you would have swallowed it, not swallowed it, but you would have been more like, you know, you'd have been, oh, wow, okay, this is what Lewis said. Oh, how crazy. Why would he say that? And nowadays we saw the interview itself and you're like, no, the media is just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. it's sell clicks, like sell their newspapers. But- like we're living in an age now where the middleman has been caught. Like it's not been caught, but in the sense that journalists are not necessarily the one bringing the news and bringing, you know, interesting tidbits of drivers' lives out in the open. The drivers do that themselves now, and that needs to be managed. And that can be done more directly, and that can be taken advantage of more directly. Love it or hate it, that's just how it is. And yeah, it's it's just more efficient. Mm. Fair enough. But to go back mm-hmm. to the carousel or to hop back on that horse or fire truck or whichever shape is your favorite what? of the carousel. You know, the carousel. Oh, in German, have... in Nordschleife. What? No, 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 not the carousel, but you know, the, the carousel, the actual thing yeah. that goes round and round. And... A merry-go-round. Yeah. yeah, that's where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the horse's yeah. fire truck. Now so I get your it. Favorite? Yeah, sorry. My favorite was always right? the horses okay. because I never get to ride a horse. So, you know, that was, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So five drivers out of contract at the end of the season. Lewis Hamilton being one of them. Is it that many? Lewis okay, yeah, Lewis. your yeah. deal at the start. So, like the expectation is that he will resign. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's already signaled his intent to uh, resign. Um Valtteri Bottas being another one, but his contract situation is always uh discussed. Yeah. Uh during the season at the end of the season. But we've mentioned it before, the, this driver pairing. It wouldn't make sense for McLaren to replace him. Like he, Valtteri Bottas is doing his job. He is an excellent team player. Yeah. And That's should Mercedes want to continue the success that they've been having, it would not be the one. I mean, of course, we are not experts in the field. We're mm-hmm. not Toto Wolf. But from his point of view as well, would he want to risk upsetting the harmony and balance of the team by having uh, a, a hot shot like George Russell come in for that second See, seat. So what what I'm I, you can kind of compare to 2014 when Red Bull got rid of Mark Webber and then they got Daniel Ricciardo and it did create an upset in the team because everyone's image of Sebastian Vettel being like this extremely dominant driver uh, was kind of shattered, especially in the first half of 2014. Not just because of his driving, but also because of the new regulation. Uh, the car, the engine from Renault was like not good at all, etc. Uh, it, it, it was a paradigm shift in a way because Red Bull was toppled, but Ricardo came out on top of this. And you can see from two sides when it comes to Mercedes, right? You, you'd want to keep Bottas because you'd want the stability. He knows the car really well. Maybe he has a good way of setting up communication with engineers. They understand um, his feedback well. 
and they'd want to continue with him going into 2021. That's what I think is going to happen. And that's what I would do personally if I was like the team principal, because it's going to be a hectic year anyway. Might as well get some experienced eyes to to look at everything. Make sure that you get up, um, get up and running uh, at a good pace. But another argument could be said that since everything's going to be turned upside down with the new regulations, it would be interesting to see how a driver like Lewis and like Russell, how they would go against each other in equal machinery and both are set at a disadvantage because they have no experience with this machinery. Um, I wouldn't think that's a smart decision from Mercedes, but at this point they really don't have much to lose. So maybe they would want, it would be a benefit for Mercedes to create more interest in Formula One itself. Uh, even if, you know, they might not have a dominant season next year. So, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting to think about. Well, what I have to say about that is we have to take into account sort of the the, the harmony and the, the mind space that Mercedes has to create for Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Like, uh, we see him, if he gets rattled, you know, if things aren't in his environment, aren't going his way, he can get shaken, and that could affect his performances. He is quite uh, uh, an emotional man. Of course, yeah, he is very sure. passionate about yeah. you know a lot of um, a lot of issues, also about the sport. So he needs everything just in tune, calibrated to him, in order to extract the maximum performance out of him. And Mercedes have have signed on to that. They know that Lewis Hamilton is their man, their number one driver, if they want maximum results. We have to do everything possible to keep Lewis Hamilton in his comfy, like comfy comfort zone, um, yeah. that he's able to operate at such a high level. Yeah. And Valtteri Bottas is part of that. You know, he is not a controversial figure. He doesn't ruffle any feathers. He, you know, he allows Lewis Hamilton to operate. Mm -hmm. And I question if you enter George Russell into that equation, into that formula, if it's going to be the same. I think Russell is going to be a completely different character than he's demanding and that could potentially jeopardize yes absolutely that could potentially jeopardize the the flow for hamilton which then the cracks will appear and more and more mistakes are going to happen and we sort of see that already this season where lewis hamilton has a genuine title contender this year yeah and even in the press interviews in uh, in monaco where he was throwing barbs at Max Verstappen uh, even from Toto Wolf trying to rattle the cages of Red Bull Racing and Christian Horner we know that Christian is the master of mind games he's been mm -hmm. doing it ever since he entered Formula 1 so this is the first time we see Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton having a genuine threat from outside that we don't really see the, the Zen like Hamilton he's saying things in the press that um, we're used to seeing him say when he was playing 2012, 2011, you know? 2013. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I miss so, that Lewis. Like, I realized that Lewis, <laughs> I didn't like it back then because, you know, we all knew he was an amazing driver, but sometimes he, he said some things too much and he got very emotional and he spoke too soon. Like, he has, he has some anxiety issues, right? He's been very open about that, which I really mm -hmm. respect. And it's something, you know, a lot of people can probably relate to and sense why, where he's coming from with what he's saying. And yeah, he he's a sensitive driver. He needs things to be in order. But unlike traditional sensitive drivers that would have, when everything lined up, they would do really well. Like Jano Trulli, for instance, or mm -hmm. Ralf Schumacher. 
Lewis just seems to have more of these days because he's, you know, created this atmosphere or Mercedes have created this atmosphere for him. Um, and I think if someone like Russell came in and, you know, ruffled the feathers a bit, rustled the feathers. Russell the feathers. <laughs> uh, no, then, then yeah, because he is, he is extremely demanding. Like I've seen clips of Russell speaking to his engineers and it's, it's a mm -hmm. bit scary, but he knows that he has to be like this from the beginning to get, you know, everyone's respect and people to listen to him. And yeah, I, I think that Russell would sooner rather than later start to be try to be number one in that team. Yeah, absolutely. And, because yeah. Russell is not going there for a number two seat. No, he is not. going to from the start try to assert himself, yeah. which he has to do yeah. if he wants to advance his own career. But would Mercedes but, want that? Would Mercedes want like a fight between Lewis and, and Russell? It was great when it was Lewis versus Nico. And I think everyone loved that. But but with Russell, everyone apart from Mercedes. Yeah, I think they, so they got a lot of it attention. Was, it, was, it was Nico Rosberg himself that said, in order to beat Lewis Hamilton, mm -hmm. you have to, you know, um, capitalize on his mistakes because if you allow it, you know, if you truly capitalize on it, it will just elongate that yeah. period of time and then you could snatch points away from him. Yeah. So when he's not in the zone, that's when you pounce. Yeah. So they, Mercedes needs Lewis Hamilton in the zone yeah for like uh, completely in the zone uh for an elongated period of time any little crack and chips it would just start breaking and down breaking down and then you could have a for stopping you could have a leclerc just running away with the with the um, okay, championship but, but if firstly they have to compete with other teams but also have to compete within themselves so yeah. the teammates no i agree but i'm just thinking like in a really really big picture here you know this is pure speculation and exactly why we have a podcast because these are the kind of things that we talk about in private that you know it's a bit bullshit, but uh, what can i say okay think of the big big picture for total wolf's future he wants to be more involved in formula one possibly right he's he's eyeing the big prize of you know having a say in how formula one is going to be shaped and how he's going to reach more people and the biggest problem with formula one right now is first of all lewis is dominating not faulting Lewis or Mercedes for that. It's just, it's what happens because they're so good. Fair play to them. But maybe it would be interesting to see some upset, some chaos happening. It will sell newspaper. Imagine Lewis Hamilton dethroned by a younger teammate. You know, it would not be good for Mercedes short term, but maybe long term if they decide to stay in F1, it would, it would be great because you get more people into F1. I mean, this is, like it'll I be, said, it would be great for Formula One. It wouldn't be the greatest thing for Mercedes shareholders. Not short term, but maybe long term. If F1 drew in a very big crowd, like let's say they could like get a third or double their crowd to these younger generation and Mercedes name gets out there. And even if Mercedes not dominating, but maybe challenging for the championship, then they get more hardcore fans. And that's a way to, you know, get, make things more exciting. Who knows? Speaking it, it, of Mercedes, I'm, I'm sure um, they've had a board meeting where they've looked at all these kind of things, you know, because it's not something you wouldn't discuss anyway. I think. Yeah, uh, but yeah. speaking of Mercedes and their youngsters, mm -hmm. uh, we've mentioned George Russell. We then also have to mention Esteban Ocon, yes. who is also out of contract at the season, uh, at, the, at the end of the season. Uh, recently, both Alpine and Ocon came out with their intention to continue with one another smart but of course this being our podcast um i'm just going to throw it out there um why not george russell to alpine 
for the next two years. So follow the same trajectory as with Ocon. Yeah. So it's I think it's so, interesting. Sorry. Um, so George Russell mentioned after Landon Norris signed his long-term contract that the next contract I want to sign, uh, I want it to be long-term as well. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be at the back at, at Williams anymore. So to me, the jump to Mercedes is still a bit too far. I think it's in everyone's interest to see what Russell can deliver in a better car. And the Alpine car is up for grabs. And it'll be quite interesting for Alpine as well to have a young hotshot driver right next to the experienced two-tumble champion, uh, Fernando Alonso. Although, all credit to Ocon at the moment. You know, he is uh, delivering performances. He He's, is, I think, very underrated. You know, consistently yeah. beating Fernando Alonso. The question is, if Alonso gathers speed, and at the end of the season, it's a completely different story. It's much likened to... Uh, his season at Renault with uh, Daniel Ricciardo, if the same thing happens, I could see the interest in him sort of cool down. And George Russell is a hot property in Formula 1 at the moment. So from everyone's sense, from Russell's sense, from Mercedes' sense, for Alpine's sense, it could be very interesting to see him in that car for the yeah. next couple of years, two years or so. Yeah, because Ocon as well is rented uh, out from Mercedes, like you mentioned. Mm. Uh, and as it is for Alpine right now, they basically have four drivers to choose from. Like if, if they could choose, they have Alonso, they have Ocon, they have Russell, and they possibly have Gasly. Like let's not kid ourselves. Gasly is probably in talks with Alpine and Mercedes as well, possibly. That's that's some rumor rumors we've heard. Um it could be really interesting. First of all, I think Ocon is really underrated. Like last year, we didn't see his best season. It was also his, you know, his comeback. Um, but the way his F1 career has been has been a bit messy with a year off here and, you know, not really like the opposite of Russell, where Russell has stayed at one team for, for a longer time. That has been bad. Ocon has kind of like moved a bit around. Um, uh, let's say maybe a, a bit like um, a bit like science has for instance. And Sainsworth was really proved at McLaren last year. Until then, you know, people were still not sure about how, how good Sainz was. And now he's really showing it in the Ferrari as well. Um, so with, when it comes to Alpine, I really do think that they would want to invest long-term in, in Ocon, possibly Gasly. And Alonso is only temporary. Let's see how long Alonso stays in F1. I think his contract will be up end of next year, right? It's for two years he signed. Um, two years and I think if he still performs the way he does now he'd want to stay um, and in that case I'd say Ocon, uh, Ocon's seat is pretty pretty safe there I would not see why Russell would go to Alpine like I think Alpine is going to improve and they have certain tracks they're gonna be good at basically the opposite of the Williams when it comes to that in the what the car is like good at but um, yeah it would be a shocker if he moved there, um, but yeah. What, what do you think? Do you think it's realistic, Ryan? I think it, could, it it makes sense for all parties involved, but of course the biggest question mark in this whole equation is is Williams, and they're well, they're not new anymore, but they were recently bought over by Doralton Capital. Doritos uh, Capital. I think I mentioned Doritos Capital. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's all a bit unclear as to what exactly the amount was. So some sources quote about £152 million, 
that they paid uh, to the Williams family to take ownership of very the team, low, which uh, which is quite low. But yeah. at the same time, I don't have that on my bank account at the moment. Nah. So it is quite significant sum. So it was right about you know a bit of premium paid on the the valuation that the Williams family placed on their team. So they've foregone the the the, the history and nostalgia because. Of course, branding is one thing, but the actual assets and everything of what they're worth mm -hmm. is another thing. But yeah. long story short, they have new owners. And according to some journalists, they have made significant monetary investments in the team uh, and everything. So we don't know what the future uh, holds for the Williams team. So, you know, best case scenario, like they've, they have to come out of this rut that they're in for the past couple of years. 2022, with new regulations, we don't know what's in what's in stock, you know. We don't know what to expect from Williams. So that could be also a very interesting prospect. If the, if the investment amount is significant enough that they're not really in need of a pay driver, suddenly the other seat at Williams is also available. So it's who out of the this driver's on the grid but also the one on the fringes of formula one talking about daniel kviat nico hulkenberg you know stoffel van dorn yeah who would would take the punt and have the risk to go to williams which could potentially pay off quite massively if they may manage to make three steps yeah not necessarily at the front but no one knows what's going to happen no so that is also another big part of the 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 equation and the driver lineup for next season yeah i think for sure williams are in a upward trajectory i'm not sure for next year we're going to see we're going to see a big investment i think Donaldson came in a little bit too late for to really affect the 2021 season but 2022 you know, 2022 sorry uh, you did a in there yeah i did but like i think <laughs> your second one today exactly i think in two three years you know i think williams is going to be it's going to be a bit higher up who knows they might be you know doing amazing but if i was russell i would probably stay at williams where i'm the clear number one driver i get good press everyone knows that the team is not as good as russell is stay one more two more years then bottas surely um will move away and who knows maybe bottas will go back to williams i think a that would be swap. a really good fit a, that would be a, a good fit a seat swap between the two yeah. eventually down the line i think that makes the most sense to me as well, where yeah. we can have a continuation of the current, you know, seat arrangements for yeah. the next year. Um, of course, at the end of next year, we'll have another discussion if Lewis Hamilton is going to extend or not. If Hamilton has had enough, then uh, I think then it could be interesting for Russell to then jump in as for a sure. replacement yeah. for Lewis Hamilton as opposed to a teammate to yeah. Lewis Hamilton. And then who knows, you could have Ocon and yeah, Russell. Yeah, and then the second seat will be up for grabs yeah. for anyone as well. By the way, <coughs> by the way I'm just drinking a, a beverage uh, of my choice and it is imported in Woking. Sorry. I just saw that. Well, actually, that particular brand, and we're yeah. not going to mention the brand's name no. because they're not paying us yet. It's um, Pirelli? It is sponsoring... No. <laughs> no they are sponsoring the F Aston Martin mm. Formula 1 team. That's true. The the 0% yes. one. Exactly. Yeah. The Libera. So, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, 
So uh, another one. So the last driver on the curve I want to talk about is actually Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi. Kimi Raikkonen. This, like the, the, the first couple of sex. The first. What? That was a Freudian slip right there, Ryan. That was a Freudian slip. We're keeping this in. <laughs> no. The first six seasons. No, not f***ing six seasons. Okay. So, Kimi Raikkonen, the first six races of the season, getting quite comprehensively beaten by Antonio Giovinazzi, who yeah. in Monaco was hugely, hugely impressive. Uh, his qualifying performance and then also managed to deliver that in the race as well. Being very racy, being in tune and just, you know, out-qualifying, out-driving Kimi Raikkonen. Of course, he's getting on in age. He's, you know, he said from the start, whenever, uh, when he joined Alfa Romeo, he's here because it's a hobby. He's handsomely paid for it as well. I think Ferrari is still footing the bill for that. Yeah. But then there comes a time for both Alfa Romeo and, of course, the, the Ferrari wage bill that... For next season, 2022, does it still make sense to keep him around? And we've mentioned before. Yes, it does. Because I still haven't seen a Formula One race in real life and I want to see Kimi race. (laughs) So therefore he has to stay. Like, man, that I had the chance to go to the 2005 Belgian Grand Prix, but it didn't work out. and I never went. And like I said, I've never seen Kimi race. That's like I have to. So he has to stay in F1. What can I say? Just one more year, Kimi. One more year. Uh, But... You know, on the horizon is, of course, Mick Schumacher. And it would sort of be uh, karmaic justice in some sense because yeah, Kimi true. replaced Michael Schumacher at Ferrari. You know, I think uh, Schumacher had the intention to stay, but Ferrari decided differently. Luca Di Montezemolo specifically intended yeah. and already released the press release. There's a really good artic- article about that for people yeah. if you want to read it. So if Mick ends up replacing Raikkonen, it could be... A sense of you know justice not yeah. that uh and then robin comes back and replaces mick in the future right i think the age difference is just a bit too much okay so how old is kimmy son let's say he's five i don't know how old he is five so six. in in 15 years he'll be 20 and mick is in f1 15 years he'll be what i don't know late 30s who knows could be mm. possible it could be possible. Yeah. Well, about that time, we could have a, you know, twelve-time world champion in Mick Schumacher. Who knows? Yeah. Um, if you put the bet in now, I'm pretty sure you'll be a. I doubt it, though. I doubt it. You never. Just for that, I'm going to go straight to the betting office. Yeah. Just do it. Take. The, cool. But it would be. It, it would make sense, of course, for Ferrari for Alfa Romeo to have Mick Schumacher replace him. I think uh, his performance over the last couple of races, Mick's mix, uh, mm-hmm. MSC, the new one, uh, has been impressive. Very. From from a, from a whole Ferrari Driver Academy marketing point of view, it would make sense. That would free up a space. Um, also at Haas, where we have a lot of young talent from Ferrari, also uh, eyeing that place, as well as people on the fringes, which we have talked about. So... We can never discount uh, any uh, young talent as well. Uh, we have no. in like Monaco, the whole Alfa Romeo Ferrari cabal is really, you know, there's so many variables, you know, it can go so many ways. That's what's interesting. And it went the way this year that I didn't expect. Yeah, but then props to Antonio Giovinazzi. Yes. Uh, when he debuted, I had uh, doubts. Last season, Same. I had doubts. And this season, he sort of, 
done the performances that sort of reminded me of Jules Bianchi in the in the Marusha. Yeah. In the manner, I, sort of at Monaco, sort of being there unexpectedly, but once he was there, we noticed. Yeah. I mean, Italian Jesus had a really good GP2 <laughs> career, you know, uh, which I think a lot of people overlooked, oversaw. I did, for instance. Uh, now, in hindsight, he had a good bat with Gasly, for instance. Uh, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a solid season. But like you said, he came into F1 a bit on the back foot and it, he didn't look that great. And he hasn't really done anything spectacular yet. And I think maybe we expect too much as well because we're used to seeing young drivers doing some spectacular things. Verstappen, Leclerc. Um, so, yeah, he just doesn't have that yet. But if he manages to become like a really solid midfield driver... I mean, the combination of Kimi and Giovinazzi now, I think it could be better. You could get more out of the car and their races. But overall, I think they're doing, they're doing pretty okay. They should have more points than they have, to be honest. Now. So at what point would you, you know, as a, as a self-confessed Kimi Raikkonen fan, yeah. say, you know, this is the criteria, this is the checklist... You need to achieve this in order to justify your place next yeah, year. Yeah, but that depends what kind of team I have. If I had a top team, uh, I would say, Kimi, bye-bye. It's too late now. And unless you had like a clear number one and a clear number two. that's You could argue Ferrari had that with Vettel and Raikkonen, but they didn't really complement each other that well on the track. Maybe as personalities they did. But if I was at the top team and Kimi was still there, I'd be like, no, mate. You could be a test driver if that was still a thing. You'd be an amazing test, test driver before perfect you can still drive your cars give us good feedback see how to develop the car you know that would be awesome as a midfield team i would maybe keep him for two more years if he wanted to just because of the new regulation changes you really need some stability and then have a young driver come in and if i was in a back marker team i would maybe still also keep him or i could also argue we need to take risks and just see where we can get with you know the best bang for the buck and get two really hot-headed young drivers see if they can go up and get some points that's exactly the point, the best bang for the buck, because we have a, a, a budget ceiling, a cost yeah. cap come in, and it's only going to decrease year after year after yeah. this. And salary is included, driver salary is included in that cost cap. Yeah, but you know, you can always circumnavigate driver salaries by sponsorship agreements and all these kind of things. You exactly, know. but yeah. that's also the flip side. Sponsorship yeah. agreements, of course, Kimi is not as marketable as he was 10, 15 years ago. No, he's still crazy marketable though. <laughs> But you, you still see him in Alfa Romeo ads, like true, because he is a world champion. But coupled that, so if we juxtapose Mick Schumacher with him, mm-hmm. who has I I think at the moment more marketability than Kimi Raikkonen, even Absolutely. though he's a world, world champion. Absolutely. So building for the future with talent. So to me, if I was Fred Vasseur, which I would love to be, um, you want to be French. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you up on this. I'm gonna hold. Uh, Brian wants to be French, by the way. Did you know, guys? know? yeah, he's a Dutchman that wants to be French. Maybe you should just become Belgian, Ryan. You can have a uh, bit of no, both that's, there. That's just stabbing the hearts. Anyways, <laughs> but um, first of all, um, we have to dedicate some time to him in a later podcast mm-hmm. because I am a huge fan. French his laugh, his laugh is infectious. But he is, you know, he knows young talent. You know, he's worked with the absolute best world champions. He saw them from young. He knows the business side of things as well. And ultimately, 
it's his decision and he will make the right decision and my money w- is leaning towards Mick Schumacher for next season as opposed to Kimi Raikkonen mm. at the moment would be interesting I mean I wouldn't be upset about it let me put it that way I would be sad that Kimi would leave obviously but you know what Kimi might have might be good in the house if Kimi wants to stay that would be interesting I'm not sure if he'd want to do that but you know Haas they seriously need some direction and some sort of way to to go because they don't seem to have like a direction they had they had that season where they did amazingly well in the beginning and then it's just been downhill ever since then and mm-hmm. they have a smaller budget they have a smaller team than any of the other teams but um yeah now they have two young drivers as well and it's not Mazepin who is making sure that Haas is in the news i mean for the wrong reasons of course but Mick is and yeah they had last last year with Cochon and Magnussen that had gone a bit too long i think um so who knows Maybe have Kimi in the house, and if Mazepin is still interested, it's still Team Mazepin, then he'll still be there. If not, they'll have another young Ferrari driver, like a Schwartzman or whatnot. I do think it would be in the best interest of, of the team to, to place, uh, for next season, someone next to Nikita Mazepin. Of course, he is the bankroller of the team. Yeah. Uh, as long as Nikita still has interest in driving Formula 1, he'll be there at that team. Um. His father will ensure it, you know, with his magic wand. Um, but I question whether Kimi would be the right person to place because they do need someone to drive the team forward. They also need someone that will spend the time with the youngster to give him pointers and tips and bring the team forward and have that marketing energy. But who would do that? Other Who would otherwise do that? You just mentioned well, we that he needs that, but who could who could we, do we that? We have to look at the the current driver grid. We don't know who is getting kicked out. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen to Sergio Perez at the end uh, of the season, and if he needs to find a seat, Haas is a pretty good fit. Uh, good uh, fit. Good point, uh, American team still currently, Mexican driver. Um, who else do we have uh, fitting that profile of just you know of a younger age bracket that Kimi Raikkonen? Yeah. But still having that experience and still having that marketability, as it were. So, you know, as much as I love Kimi Raikkonen, is the sun setting? You know, yeah. there currently yeah. are. It has been. It has been for a while, man. But let's, total like, let's be honest. Like if, total if, eclipse of the heart. Yeah. If Kimi had to be honest with you as well, I'm sure he'd say, "Yeah, I'm not as quick as I used to be." There, there you go. I'm older. He's more experienced, but yeah, for sure he's not. Yes. But I agree. Like we have to be there at a race. Yeah. And if that happens to be his last race, we'll do live podcasts from the race. Imagine that. <laughs> with a bottle of vodka. I mean, this yeah. we promise you, listeners. Yeah. Kind of moving on. We haven't even mentioned Baku, and we're no, I know. Time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, we can we can talk about it quickly. There's not much okay. to talk about because there hasn't been much in the news, to be honest. Like that's true. So we firstly, yeah, we have to talk about Red Bull. So traditionally Baku hasn't been the strong point for uh for Baku or the Red Bull car hasn't been a strong point for Baku True. simply because of this massive straight. But True. we cannot 
discount the Honda engine. The Honda engine has been making leaps and bounds. Yeah. This is in the last season. I mean, they've reached the peak and then they started to f off. This is Formula One and Honda has done that as well. So they're not at a de like a complete deficit like previous years with the Honda engine. No. And especially with the aerodynamic performance of the Red Bull car, as well as, you know, the controversial flexi flexible wings. Flexi wings that allegedly the um, Red Bull rear wing flexes quite a bit under um, under high speeds, which which helps the, the top speed of that car. It decreases the drag yeah. by essentially so, lowering the rear wing. Even even though it's still a street track, but complete opposite to Monaco, we cannot discount Red Bull in this race either. No, no. we can't. But I think this will be one of the stronger weekends for Mercedes. Imagine I'm going to be completely wrong. Who knows? Maybe Red Bull will have an amazing car for Baku this year. But like you said, it's not necessarily their track. And I feel like the long straights here at Baku are really, really important. That's why I think Alpine as well, they're probably going to have a good result here. Because what I've noticed with the Alpine car is it's not quick in acceleration. Like coming out of corners, it really tends to struggle. But once you hit like sixth, seventh gear, it really picks up speed. And I think for that on the two long straights in Baku, the Alpine will, will be able to do lots of overtakes. Even if they can't start at the front of the grid, they'll be able to move up swiftly by staying in touch with the car in front. Um and I do have a feeling that it is going to be Mercedes are going to have a, a really good weekend here. They, yeah, they do they do well normally here, and dare I say maybe even uh, Bottas, uh, he could have a really good weekend here. That's that's my prediction. Interestingly, uh, the softest range of tires going to be brought to Baku this year makes sense. And Baku is not known for high tire deck. No. It's a very smooth service, so yeah. that doesn't play into the hands of Mercedes, who have been traditionally very good at tire preservations True. on uh, high tire deg um, tracks. So one advantage is being taken away from Mercedes. Mercedes always had the strongest engines, which they have capitalized on for the last couple of years. They have the strongest all-round engine, though. They don't yeah. necessarily have the strongest engine for like top speed or for acceleration, but like as a whole package, then yes. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, we have the the Honda engine in the previous seasons mm -hmm. um, missing on top speed, but once yeah. they fix that, also a lot of clipping issues. Yes, exactly. Where the, the battery well. just exactly. But yeah, the Honda engine looks looks sorted. It is. It does. It, but what what? How many races are we in? We're six races in. Would Verstappen and uh, Perez have changed their engine by now? Uh, have we had mechanical niggles? So I'm just saying, if they're still running on the same engine that they've run a couple of races on, uh, I don't know how exactly they've switched, switched, swapped around the parts. I would say when it comes to the end of life uh, of the engine, Mercedes is still stronger. So in that regard, I, I would also think Mercedes would be able to get a little bit more performance out of it without risking too much reliability. Unlike the Honda, which may be a bit more sensitive. So, um, Perhaps. Baku, yeah. Baku always being quite exciting. I know well you, done, Baku. I know you uh, always had questions regarding the track. Yeah. Simply because yeah. the walls, the safety aspect it, of it It's a all. great race and it's great to drive. Exactly. 
but safety wise i'm do you remember um dario franchiti's crash yes, in indycar right yes. where he just he rolled up over the rear and flew into the catch fencing and there's like some horrific images like i don't think anyone was really badly injured except for franchiti had some uh, he had a broken ankle, back. I think. Yeah, and he couldn't he couldn't continue at a concussion or uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah. But those are the kind of accidents that could happen in F one. They happen rarely, and I think about before coming out of the last on the, coming out on the last uh, stretch of the start finish straight. You have this quick left right kind of section, and it's easy flat. It's easy flat, but a car following another car, getting a bit of turbulent air, doing a quick correction gets the front wheel up on the rear wheel of the other car, will literally just shoot straight into... Yeah, but that's only because Ericsson hit them. Yeah, true. But <laughs> I'm, oh, uh, we had the Brendan Hartley and Gasly incident as well in the Toro Rosso, remember that? We, we like, did, that yes. could have gone so bad as well. And another time when Alonso was caught in the middle on the acceleration out of the second straight, so many things could have gone wrong and they just luckily didn't. Like Monaco San Devot is also a great example because you see this car coming down almost 300 kilometers an hour, and Verstappen's crash when he hit Kosciuszko in 2015, remember, he went straight into mm -hmm. the barrier. If that car had been lifted half a meter more, it would have flown straight into five marshals that were standing and waiting there at the corner. And that's what I'm so scared could potentially happen at Baku. Yeah, I know it's a very been, safe circuit. We've been talking about this ever yeah. since it came on the calendar. And the yeah. first race we had there was actually really boring, mm -hmm. completely uneventful. Ba Baku and can then, be a boring race. And then it heated up. So we've had actually some genuine excitement. True. We had um, wheel banging on purpose. That was a crazy race where um, I think even Lewis Hamilton's headrest came off. That yeah. Pit extra. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah. Valtteri Bottas' tires exploding. Yep. Um, Verstappen and Ricardo driving into each other. Yeah. So we've had some genuine, exciting, crazy incidents happening at Baku, sure. which just adds to the excitement of Formula One. For sure. So... I do think, you know, as opposed to perhaps other um, high-speed uh, street tracks that we had in the past. I mean, we currently have uh, Sochi. Mm -hmm. We had Valencia. Um, Singapore is a different kind of animal, so I wouldn't necessarily put it in that no. same bracket. But Singapore is, a, like, Baku is a high-speed Singapore. There's a lot of similar corners, similar kind of asphalt. Um, there is a common denominator between the designer of both places. There is. But um, we do need, once a season, a race like this that could shake up the order of things, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's just interesting how F1 went from, in the mid-2000s, went all out on tilted roams with, you know, Bahrain and China, you know, having all these very big circuits with lots of runoff area. And now they've kind of gone the little bit opposite direction with narrow street circuits uh and i think yeah baku is a good uh it's a good compromise in, in between i i there's just certain parts of the track that i wish maybe were a bit different so my fear is that you know the future of formula one and we're always looking to you know expand the the countries and the reach of formula one but my fear is that going to new races it's going to be much like the the, the baku formula so street it is. tracks yeah because saudi arabia in these in these exactly in these modern days and times where cost is a major factor in everything you know in formula one but also governments like 
we the, the the building of new circuits are going to have to come from private enterprises now governments are not going to commit huge sums of money just for a racetrack i mean we've and seen the failures so. yeah we've seen the failures in in india in south korea valencia such a healthy healthy economies building a permanent track formula one comes there for a couple of years and then never returns and like istanbul park a couple of years ago just collecting dust it's a huge car park so they've seen the successes and then also the failures of doing that so i don't think governments are going to commit to building a new circuit anymore no and they shouldn't every time a government has been involved in f1 there's so much corruption going on and people always talk sorry it's just a bit of a tangent here but finland people like why doesn't finland have a race finland straight up went out and in the media said we don't think this is a viable investment we believe there's too much money that will get lost and it's not fair to the taxpayers and i was just clapping saying exactly and then denmark comes in we want a street track because magnuson is an f1 now and they make a shitty little street track in copenhagen there's no way the infrastructure can support it and denmark will be like yeah man we're gonna do this like no just don't you know where the money's gonna go straight to bernie ecclestone back then anyway um but yeah no ex- but exactly like you said governments are gonna be less and less involved in this Sandford as well already has a lot of controversy when it comes to this absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean it was going to are we going to have a street race in rotterdam are we going to renovate Assen? they ended up going to Sandford. so it was it was a huge complicated mess Sandford is hated by the people who live in the area yeah it, it still is because yeah. i understand it is a beautiful location it and is. it is actually in a, in a very pristine um ecosystem exactly with with water birds and right on the beach mm-hmm. so it does have you know i definitely in the 70s and in the 60s and 80s it is a beach town resort yeah there's a casino on the boardwalk and then stroll from the nice hotels and the casinos down to the racetrack where you know in its time it made sense yes in modern times it doesn't anymore no. so i can understand but what i fear is that we're just going to have a copy paste street high speed street model yeah the, the high the speed part that's that's exactly where you're right because that's the trend we've seen lately they're going to make melbourne quicker which i'm not sure is going to be yeah i am a bit on the fence with that there's certain parts where i'm interested in it other parts where i think it's just going to make the racing a bit more boring because there's not going to be more overtaking opportunities but let's see let's see i'm curious about it we have saudi arabia now as well very high speed and we have baku for instance as well and high speed street track doesn't necessarily lend itself to overtaking opportunities and it's exciting races it just seems like you know pearls on a string um you can't really get past it's going to be difficult lots of twisty sections so like an in-between would be perfect like montreal is kind of that in between if you get what i'm saying well i mean we've we've discussed this in person i can't mm-hmm. believe i'm bringing it up at like the last moment of our podcast mm-hmm. but i'm going to throw it out there anyways okay, bring it. so for formula one for the calendar we don't need to go to every single circuit every single year. Yeah, you're like, right. Put in a rotation. Yeah. There's only a certain, like a few tracks where we have to go yeah. every year. I that agree. is Monaco, that is Silverstone, that is Suzuka, that is Spa, there Monza. is Monza. Maybe you know, Albert Park as well. I'll put Albert Park in there. Always. Sao Paulo. Yes. So we need to have all regions of the world represented in order for it to be a world championship. Yes. So we have to go to North America. We have to go to South America. 
we we're not going to Africa, but we should because it's a yeah. world championship. So Kailami or Kailami is a great track nowadays. Uh, yeah, um, Europe is of course overrepresented because there are lots of there's a great history of motor racing in Europe, yes. but there's also a lot of great tracks. But so is the Middle but, East is also overrepresented. Yeah, exactly. But we don't have to go to every single track no. every single year. Have a rotation system. We don't have to go to um, uh, Barcelona and Zandvoort at the same year. Alternate between them. It I makes agree. for more economic viability yeah. for both the organizers, the promoters, and the fans as well. And it should, it should be a long-term plan. So it shouldn't be like, is Hockenheim or Nürburgring going to be on this year or next year? No, we don't know. It should be long-term laid out. Let's say Catalonia does all the even years and Sanford does the uneven years uh, or something like that, you know. It, it would be exactly. it would be so good to have because we, we could go visit all over the world. more places yeah. that way instead of having a packed calendar yeah. of 23, 25 races in a year. Like we can visit more places. There's there's no harm in just waiting a year. Yeah. Like look at COVID. We lost an entire year. It's the longest period of time, but also the shortest period of time I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Like racing fans will wait yes. a year. Yeah. You know, no problem. We can save up in order to go to a, a huge flyaway yeah. race. So like have some sensibility. Make it regional. You know, we don't have to crisscross the whole world. Yeah. We can visit region by region by region. With a, with a more manageable calendar. Agreed. And imagine if you could do this. Ask the fans what races should be on this year, what races should be on on the other year. Like, you could kind of do that. And if the fans had more of a say in what tracks we visited, I'm sure we would have a lot more interesting tracks. Like, just do it like the Eurovision. <laughs> imagine <laughs> that, but with tracks. <laughs> that would be perfect, man. That would be so perfect. Deuce point for Deuce our plan. point. Anyways, oh no so to con conclude our podcast mm -hmm. i'm still going to end it on a salty note oh. and this is a personal salty note so my message actually goes straight to signore stefano dominicale oh ceo of formula one i want to talk about your formula one store that is for the fans to buy their merchandise si naturalmente it is contracted out to a company called Fanatics based out of Manchester. And please just Google and look at Trustpilot for the amount of stars that they have, or I should say the lack of stars that they have. So yeah. from personal experience, last podcast, I mentioned that one of us had a birthday and it wasn't me. So with the birthday comes a present. So I decided to order something nice for my co-host. Aww. Spent some serious cash, hard-earned cash, and all I got were problems. Problems, yeah. problems, problems, delays, orders, and the first option that customer service gives you is, oh, you can cancel and you get a full refund. That is the first thing they do. Yeah. The first thing they say time and time and time again, what the f is this? Yeah. Stefano, fix this. 100%. First of all, thank you, Ryan. I had no clue you did that. I'm super excited. Yeah, but now, if everything now works you're going out. to have to wait more. I have to change plans. You're not going to get anything Formula One related. No. Um, uh, but you're still going to get something. Okay, okay. Nice. No, but like, you're so right because I've seen so many people complain about it. There's literally, when you want to buy F1 merch, you have always this question in the back of mind is this legit or is it not? 
because there are other sellers. There's this F1 fan store has been on YouTube, um, YouTube ads and stuff. And I believe they are legit, but it's hard to prove when something is legit or not when it comes to F1 merch. Mm-hmm. You could go to the team's website directly where they don't have maybe a big dedicated customer service. So there's still going to be delays and it's still going to be expensive. And it's still not going to be nice. Or you can go to the F1 merch store. People be like, oh, perfect. I want to buy something F1. I go there. And it like you just said, trusted. everyone gets problems with it. It is it is hor- horrific. It's really sad. It's one of those things where you think like F1 TV Pro, it should work when you want it to. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, this kind of fan merch, you should be able to get it quick and easy at, at a reasonable price and maybe be part of something bigger when you do, you know, like point system, you can buy more things. Like it should be a, an experience where people come back and buy things. But it is really not like that. People don't come back to the F1 store. They literally go there one time and realize how bad it is and never return. And F1 merch in general is also way overpriced. Like I don't really have much F1 merch. I used to when I was younger, uh, but quickly realized how expensive it was. And then I stopped getting it because, you know, so I don't really have anything with my favorite team now, which is a shame. I want to wear that when watching a race, but it's too expensive. It's hard to get. And yeah, it's feeling for a customer to to go through absolutely so to end this podcast uh fanatics go yourself and if you have any problems with that um our social media is at formules and one jackass on instagram and at formules on one on twitter come at me i have a lot of things to say um but all Mm -hmm. for our nice listeners if you have any experiences with this please do let us know uh, and as always, if yeah. you have any comments or questions, uh, feel free to shout out. Um, hopefully, mm-hmm. you'll be back again. Uh, I apologize for all the swearing. It was heavy on my mind, but it was a personal experience. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Any last thoughts from you, Christopher? Um, I am still so excited for the next race. I say every time. Uh, I think it's unpredictable. Every time. Every time. I, 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 like I have my prediction, but I am so ready to be proven wrong, and I'm sure I will be. And, you know, Baku is either boring or super exciting. There's no in-between, I feel. So let's hope for it's going to be exciting. Fantastic. And when that happens, we shall return. And as always, please keep washing those hands. Keep washing them hands. Okay, bye now. <laughs>